our series in Proverbs this fall. In the last three weeks, we have been looking and focusing upon speech, looking at words of life that the righteous give as a fountain of life, the calling for us to hate words of death, and here this week, looking at words of counsel and how Scripture calls us and invites us both in seeking counsel and advises us and also in terms of how we give counsel. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word here today. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would send your spirit into our midst. Lord, as your spirit would enliven our hearts and our souls to the truth of your word, Father, that we might rejoice in who you are and what you have done, that you would make us wise. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In, one of the, in the book of Proverbs, one of the most despicable characters, if you will, and despicable caricatures is the fool in Proverbs. And the fool is characterized in Proverbs as a person that is worthless. And the reason why they're worthless is that they are a person who had great potential. And despite the great potential that they had in their life, their life was oriented away from God and ultimately oriented towards themselves. Of the many different ways that Proverbs talks about the fool, one of the major, way, one of the major areas that the fool is contrasted is in the area of our speech and how the fool does or does not pursue wise counsel. So here this morning, our focus is on words of counsel and Proverbs instruction to us in this area. As we dive in, first off, let's get some perspective in Proverbs about counsel and why it is that we need it. A couple words here that are used for counsel in the book of Proverbs. One of them is advice. It's also translated as counsel. You see this in many different verses. And advice or counsel is knowing what to do and knowing how to do it. And the focus on advice or counsel is on planning a course of action. It's on forward movement, getting advice and counsel as to how to move forward and doing what is right. Proverbs twelve fifteen, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice, advice or counsel being there. Two other words we come across here is discipline and reproof. Discipline refers to both self-discipline, self-control, and it also refers to the consequences of our actions. Consequences that can be brought about either by the Lord or by another person in our life, such as a parent and a child relationship. Reproof addresses moral correction. It's someone saying, you're going this way, you need to be going, you need to be going that way. See these both tied, tied together here in Proverbs 15.10. There is a severe... There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Now notice the usage of these two words here as we begin and get perspective. There is a severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. The focus of that discipline is not punitive. It's not a punishment. The focus of that discipline is there is a severe, dis- there is a severe discipline for him who forsakes the way, for him who has walked away from the Lord, for him who is going on their own course. There is a severe discipline for them, but why? why? The why is so that they would come back on the way, so that their course would be corrected and be brought back to the way of life. A severe discipline for them. And you see it further when it says, whoever hates reproof, correction, whoever hates moral instruction, they will die. Why? Because the severe discipline brings people back on the way, but those who receive it, who hate reproof, continue on their own course and ultimately die. Well, given those, those definitions, 
a little bit more perspective in terms of why is it that we need counsel. Proverbs makes clear that part of the reason why we need counsel is that as people, we are finite. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. That is, seek out instruction. Seek out wisdom. Seek out words of knowledge. And the assumption here in this verse of Proverbs is that knowledge, insight, instruction are things that are outside of us. They are things that are, that are not a part of us that we need to pursue in order to get them inside of us. That wisdom, knowledge, and information comes from the outside. If you consider these beautiful girls that were baptized here this morning, and you say, well, how much knowledge and wisdom do they have? None, really, right? I mean, particularly at the day that they're born, they've learned since then, started to learn since then. But, but any knowledge that they have, any insight or understanding that they have, has, been, has come from the outside. And then their own heart, souls, and mind, in each one of us, our own heart, souls, and mind, synthesize that information. Let me give you an example of this from the real world. This here is a picture of a Mexican zinnia. The picture on the left is a, what is seen in the visible light. It is, it is yellow. What's seen in the right two photographs is what is seen by insects. And that's what's seen in the ultraviolet, per, ultraviolet spectrum. So as these certain bees in particular are flying through the forest, flying through the woods, and they see these yellow flowers, what they see is these glowing targets of where they need to go in order to get nectar. But we as people, we don't see that. We only see what comes to us within the visible spectrum. And in order to even understand what's going on with these insects, see, we have to take that and retranslate that into the, into the sphere in which we have. So too, as people, we are finite. We are finite in our perspective. We are finite in our knowledge. We are finite in our ability of what we can understand and what we can process in our ability to do so. So because of that finiteness, Proverbs continues to exhort us. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Why should you not be wise in your own eyes? Because you're finite. You can't see the whole picture. And the antidote to that is to fear the Lord, the one who sees all, who knows all, who is ultimately the source of wisdom that comes to us as people. Sometimes that wisdom comes to us directly through the word of God. Other times that wisdom comes to us when it is mediated by people, by wise people speaking that wisdom to us as well. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? Now, in the words of Proverbs, listen to this. There is more hope for a fool than for him. I mean, that is the lowest of the low on the statue here. One who does not acknowledge their own limitations and is wise in their own eyes. Derek Kidner, uh, Old Testament scholar, commenting on this verse, he states this. He says, um, he doesn't say that. He says this. He says, If you think yourself above criticism, you're not worth the criticism. If you think yourself above criticism, you are not worth the criticism. The proverb says those who are wise acknowledges in their perspective they recognize that they are finite. But the other challenge is that we are also sinful. Proverbs 29. Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from sin. It's a rhetorical question. Who can say that? Nobody can say that. Nobody can make that statement. It's that every one of us is 
tainted with our own sinfulness and our own deceitfulness. And the challenge is, is that we are so good at deceiving ourselves. So even though we are finite, we are finite and sinful. So what happens with our sinfulness is that we deceive ourselves into thinking that we know everything, that we see everything. I mean, after all, if you really are right, why do you need to ask other people if you're right? If you are right, right? Why bother? And Proverbs lays it out here is that the problem is, is that we are finite and we are is that we are finite and we are sinful. And the fool does not believe these things. The fool does not see these limitations. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. This is our memory verse for this week. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That the person who always knows best may be the only one unconscious of his real name. That the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. He's not his, finite, his finiteness and sinfulness isn't a problem because he's right. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So let's add these two things together. We are finite plus being sinful, and the result is, therefore, that we, what? We need counsel because of those two limitations on our perspective. There is a um, golf pro who recently took out a businessman and the businessman hired the golf pro to help him improve his swing. And so they went out to the golf course, and each time the golf, tro- golf pro tried to correct him, the businessman, who was very successful in his business, insisted that the way that he was doing it was more comfortable and thus was better. And so after a while, pretty soon, the golf pro started agreeing with him and affirming that what he was doing, what he was, doing was right. And after some time, when the lesson finished up, the businessman looked at him, smiled very happily, paid him his money, and walked away. Person bystander was standing there watching this and said, said to the golf pro, what just happened there? As I was watching this right about in the middle of the session, you began to tell this man exactly what it was he wanted to hear. And the golf pro responded, he said, you know, I've been doing, long of, I've been doing this long enough to know what people want. That man wasn't paying me for counsel. He was paying me for an echo. One who was right in his own eyes. What's even worse about this is that this picture of the fool the one who was right in his own eyes, for ourselves and even in our culture and around us, is that we esteem the fool. We glorify, we might, not, we might say the opposite in our words, but we glorify you know, the leader who always knows what to do, the leader who has vision, the, the, the one who is the army, the army of one. And in the common perception is that the man or the person who needs advice The man or person who needs advice or counsel, that person is weak. But what Proverbs says, the man or person who needs no advice, that person is a fool. Is that we need counsel because we are finite and because we are sinful. So a characteristic of the wise is that they seek knowledge. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. That those who are wise know how much they need to learn. Those who know the most know best how little it is that they know. That, why, that is why that when you seek out a wise person, that person probably doesn't view themselves as wise because they acknowledge how much they, need, they, how much they don't know and the need that they have for wise counsel in their own life. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom for the future. These two things coming together, our sinfulness and our finiteness, join us together in our perspective as this is why we need counsel. Having seen why we need counsel, Proverbs then gives us insight and admonishment into who, how we get counsel. 
And Proverbs encourages us not only with the perspective that we need to have and our need for counsel, but Proverbs encourages us that in finding counsel that we need to be selective. First off, be our perspective. Secondly, as we look at needing to be selective. Proverbs 12.5. The thoughts of the righteous are just, and the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Hitler exemplifies many Proverbs. He exemplifies this one. One other exemplifies is what we just looked at, that a man who was right in his own eyes. Is that many historians would argue that pro- part of Hitler's downfall and failure was that he ignored the counsel of his generals. He ignored the counsel of his generals in not, inv- not bringing England to its knees. He ignored the counsel of his, of his generals in waging war against America. He ignored the counsel of his generals in seeking to conquer, um, to advance against Russia. Is that he was wise in his own eyes. But Proverbs 12.5 gives us another insight about people like Hitler, for example. The thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. And you consider the number of very smart, talented, maybe you might say in some context, well-meaning, and I say that in a negative way, um, people he was surrounded by. And despite that, the counsels of the wicked are defeat, are, the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. How often this is overlooked, for example, in election cycles, when officials are elected on the basis of their promises rather than on the basis of their conviction to their principles and the strength of their principles. And for us, as people who are seeking out counsel, the point is, is not just to get someone who is educated and knows a lot, but the, the, the counsels of the wicked, that deals with an orientation. The orientation of the person's heart. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Proverbs continues in this encouragement. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. I heard this past week, you know, and the need here that Proverbs is highlighting of being selective in who you ask and who you get advice and counsel from. I heard this past week about the the, the marijuana lobby and about how they are trying to persuade churches and Christians to support the marijuana legalization and marijuana growing effort going on across our country. And part of the argument from the marijuana lobby comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree and seed in its fruit for your consumption. What do we see from this here? Is that you don't ask the pot lobby for advice on how to read your Bible. You don't ask Liz Taylor for advice on how to have a long-lasting marriage. And you don't ask the Washington Redskins for advice on how to win football games. You know what? You guys know I bleed burgundy and gold, so. You don't ask a fool for guidance. And so, too, as people, the more one that's probably a little bit more, the way that we don't see it, is you don't surround yourselves with friends who are simply going to tell you what you just want to hear. Is that you go to a person who has the skills to answer the question, and the skill to answer the question is someone who is experienced and wise in the art of godly living. Not necessarily experienced in your specific situation, but who is skilled in the art of godly living. And to be selective and go to people who are wise and who will give you godly advice. But notice the challenge and why we don't do so. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. It identifies our struggle in terms of why we're not selective. Why does the scoffer not like to be reproved? Because he's afraid that he's going to hear what he doesn't want to hear. 
Why does the scoffer not go to the wise? Because he's afraid of what he's going to say. He's going to afraid that he's going to tell him something that he doesn't want to hear or doesn't want to do. And so he continues in the path of foolishness. And what Proverbs is urging us is saying, you need to be selective as you seek out wise and godly counsel. Not only that, if you're going to be selective in who you seek it out, it's completely worthless for you to do so unless you are receptive of the counsel that they give. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. The pride is, pride is used of the arrogant who must have everything their own way. It refers to those, the prideful, who are not receptive to anybody else. I mean, again, why listen to anybody else if you're right? Why get anyone else's counsel if you already know what to do and you've already got the right perspective? I mean, why even bother, says the fool. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. You just got to love how straight up scripture is. It doesn't beat around the bush. He who hates reproof is stupid. So what is it urging us? It's saying that you need to seek counsel to ask for, to seek out discipline and correction. And if you're a person who recoils at someone giving you advice, someone giving you a counsel, someone telling you what you don't want to hear, Proverbs tells one that the latter part fits to you, that you're stupid. Straight up. Because there's a course of wisdom set out for you that you hear, that you understand, and you're refusing to follow. The path of the fool. Proverbs ten seventeen. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. It takes humility to listen. It takes humility to acknowledge your finiteness, not just of your being, but the finiteness of your perspective and your assessment. It takes humility to acknowledge the limitations of your own sinful heart that taints your perspective and lens, regardless of how many Bible verses you smack on it to justify your course of action. The school of wisdom is unflattering. The school of wisdom, and wisdom is learned through reproof. It is learned through correction. It is learned through arduous discipline. And it's because of these challenges why the wise are such a rare person in the book of Proverbs. Why wisdom is such a rare characteristic. Because those who are wise see and love and are willing to go through and indeed invite discipline and correction and reproof. But the fool won't seek it and they say, why bother? It's for this same reason that, that those who are wise, people who are wise will rarely give advice to someone who doesn't ask for it. It's the fool who's always spouting off what they think in their perspective on everything. But it's the wise who rarely give it until you ask for it because they know that a person needs to be ready to hear advice before it's going to do them any good. They need to be receptive. Finally, that addresses there how we seek advice in being selective, how we need to be open to what we're about to hear and being receptive towards it. What does Proverbs say about giving advice? What gives some, some encouragement, particularly who we speak counsel to, in order that our advice would be effective? Proverbs 17.10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows to a fool. Proverbs 9, longer passage. And notice again here who it is that you should, give, you should give counsel to. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, 
and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It's to be effective is to know that there are some people who will receive counsel and admonishment and some who won't. And for the giver of counsel, there are consequences for rebuking or counseling or correcting the wrong people. Is that the Proverbs is saying you need to make your judgment who you pass your wise counsel onto. Well, how do you make that decision? Well, that's the point of Proverbs, is that Proverbs is trying to grow us in the skill and in the art of godly living. Proverbs 26, 4 through 5 lays out this tension of the skill very clearly. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, which is it that you're supposed to do? Well, as we looked at it and we began to dive into Proverbs, is that Proverbs, these are not promises. These are not rules. They are Proverbs. They are wise sayings. They are hoping to give guidance in the midst of the gray areas of life, that we would grow wise in godly living. But you see here that Proverbs, particularly this one, that there is a situational applicability. There is a situation in which the first half applies, and there are situations in which the second half applies. It's a little bit how we would say something like this. Many hands makes light work, but too many cooks spoils the broth. Well, which is it? Do you want more people to help or less people to help? It depends on the situation. So that's what Proverbs is identifying here in, verse 20, in chapter 26, verses 4 through 5. Now, to understand this verse about being effective in the counsel that we give, the way that this is structured, the lest phrases, lest you be like him, lest he be wise in his own eyes, the lest clauses indicate here that the first one is the general rule. And the second one here shows the kinds of exceptions to discern. That there's a difference between profitless arguing with the fool and occasionally giving wisdom to admonish and reprove them, someone. Now, here's, let me give you an example of this, or a couple questions to ask ourselves in evaluating this situation. Do I give counsel? Do I not give counsel? It's, one, will, it do, will there be serious harm done if I don't speak up? And also in that, imagine saying, okay, what kind of conversation am I going to have with this person, and will it go somewhere, or, is, or, or are we just going to argue for the sake of arguing? And if so... The first half of that verse applies. But let me give you another ver- situation where this, this, the tension of those verse was really lived out. When we lived in seminary, we lived in seminary housing, which is about 25 minutes away from campus. And it was effectively like a bunch of townhouses. And there were about 40 townhouse units that were all together. And we were on a cul-de-sac. And periodically, someone from the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons would wander into our neighborhood. And it was probably the most receptive neighborhood that they ever had because every door that they knocked on, they always got, yes, please come, in and please come in and sit down. Now, you have to understand that for a group of seminary students who generally are concerned for the gospel and genuinely love people, but for a group of seminary students who are, whose tools are getting really sharp on theological skills and stuff, to have a, a, you know, a Mormon pair walk into your neighborhood is like tossing a tuna into a shark tank. I mean, this is... This is like great delight, fun, positively, but I mean, there's like, all right. And so, knock, 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 can we come in? Absolutely. Next door, knock, 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 can we come in? Absolutely. And, then we, and, we, and, and people walk through. But in the midst of that, whether it was the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses who were knocking on the door, this verse really started to come to light. 
is to say, what's, why, do we, why are we engaging with these people? And, for, and I think there was an aspect of it that everyone was in agreement that the second half of this verse applied. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. That there's someone going around here who we would argue is doing significant harm. And what group of people is going to be able to go toe-to-toe, point-to-point on every issue that they, that they bring up? Well, it's this, it's this 40, 40, 40 townhouse unit that's going on here, right? And so answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. But as those conversations began to progress, you know, something, the way that the conversations typically went after an hour, two hours, three hours, depending upon, the <laughs> depending upon how much studying someone was trying not to do, um, after it would go on for some time, usually the conversation would go like this, where the seminary student would say, you know, we've been discussing this for a while. In our entire conversation, you haven't responded to anything that I've said. Like, you've given a line of argument, we've responded to that, I've raised questions and objections or concerns about that, and you just have not responded. You've ignored it and gone on to something else. And we've done that three or four times now. And so I, am, I, I don't have the answers to the... I don't know how I would answer the question that I'm asking you. I really don't know how I would answer that. I don't understand how you can reconcile some of these things, and I'd really like to know that. But if you're not interested in actually dialoguing and, and, and actually engaging in this discussion, then it's a waste of both your time and my time. First half of the verse. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be, lest you be like him yourself. So, which is it? What should, what should they have done? What should you do? Should you answer a fool according to his folly or answer a fool not according to his folly? Well, Proverbs says, it depends. It depends is that you need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that you would become skilled in the art of godly living to know when to speak, to be effective, and when to be quiet and when to hold your mouth. There's one other question that we need to address here this morning, which is, why is this in Proverbs? Why is this, these admonitions about counsel and getting counsel, aside from the overtly spiritual tones here, why is this in Proverbs? You know, you could sum- summarize here, hey, you're limited, you don't know everything that you know, I mean, you hear this on every pop star saying, oh, I always invite people to speak into my life because I don't know everything. You, always, you hear this in the realm of, you know, uh, as, as employees are counseled to seek out mentors, seek, find someone who can guide you, who's got your best interest in mind. How is what's going on here in Proverbs really different than what you would find in many other places in, in your own worlds? How is this different? Well, what's different about, the, about this is that Proverbs was given to the people of God. It was given to the people of God in whom the Holy Spirit was at work in that community. And for those of us who are trusting Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him, each one of us is on a journey to become more and more like Christ. And as Scripture says, that God, who began a good work in you, is that he will bring it to completion. Is that in Scripture, in that work that God is doing, Scripture is abundantly clear, and Proverbs is highlighting the life of the righteous, the life of those in whom God's Spirit is working, that the life of the righteous, the life of the wise, is not an army of one. That the Christian life is not about being a Lone Ranger Christian. It's not about this idea of, oh, I've got me, Jesus, and my Bible, and that's all I need. Proverbs says if you go about the Christian life alone, if you're determined not to gain counsel, if you say, I don't need to be a part of a church, I don't need to seek anybody else, I can just talk to Jesus myself, I don't need any of that. Proverbs says you're a fool. You're a fool. And what Proverbs is inviting you to is saying, listen, God has worked 
to redeem you and to redeem you into relationships and acknowledging your finiteness and acknowledging your sinfulness. So I, God is saying, I have given my wisdom to other people, mediated to you that you would be in relationship with other people, that you would grow wise. Over the last couple of weeks as we've been seeking how the gospel really works in our speech, we've examined how through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, the perfect life that he lived, that no deceit was ever found in his mouth, and yet he died on the cross, and on the cross he took the punishment for our sins. He took the punishment for every ill-fitting word, every word of gossip and slander, every time that we were silent when we should have spoken, that on the cross Jesus took the punishment for that, removing our guilt and shame that is taken away from us as far as the east is from the west. And we also examine how that is not all that God has done, but through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, not only is your punishment paid for, but the power of sin in your life has been broken. That the power of sin does not rule over you, that God's spirit indwells in you, that you would die to sin and live to righteousness. That there is a real movement of God's spirit in your heart and in your life so that the picture of righteousness in Proverbs would indeed, yes, actually become the portrait of righteousness in your life. We've looked at that the last two weeks, but what we see here in this aspect of wisdom is that the gospel, when Jesus is death and resurrection, he also frees us from the punishment of sin, the power of sin, but he frees us from the loneliness of sin. You see, one of the things that Jesus, that the devil has done is that his strategy is to isolate us. From the very first day in the garden, what did he do? He isolated mankind from one another. He isolated people from each other. And part of the devil's strategy of isolation in our own life is to hide our own sins, to hide our own knowledge, to have this perspective, you know what, I, really, you know, I don't need anybody else. I can be self-sufficient. I can be independent. I can do all this on my, on my own. I, I can survive as an army of one, just Jesus and myself, and we're going to go tackle the world. That's all I need. That's all I need. But you see, Jesus came into this earth Jesus, who existed in eternal communion with God, eternal unity and harmony with the Holy Spirit and divine relationship and celebration from before the creation of the world, that this Jesus came to this earth, and on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, why is it that I am all alone? That you, God, this eternal fellowship which we have shared from the beginning of time has been ripped apart so that Jesus is dying on the cross utterly alone. And he did so, so that you would not be. So that you would not be isolated. But that through faith in him that you would be united to Christ and by being united to Christ, thereby you would be united to other people. That Jesus on the cross was condemned and mocked and scorned and crucified as a fool. Why? So that you would be wise. So that you would see that God has united you through Jesus Christ, that he has redeemed you from yourself, that you're not alone, that you are united to Christ and thereby united to one another, so that through his spirit working in you, that yes, you would seek godly counsel, and by seeking godly counsel, that yes, you actually would become wise that you actually would grow and become quite skilled in the art of godly living, that through you and through your words would flow a fountain of life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we acknowledge to you our finiteness. 
to you, an infinite God, we acknowledge our finiteness. And Lord, to a holy God, we acknowledge our sinfulness. And Lord, I thank you that you did not come for just me. But you came for your people, of which I am privileged that you have made me a part. And so, Lord, I do pray for your spirit to work in us. That we would live not on the path of a fool, but we would see the path of the fool and live in the path of righteousness. That your spirit would make us righteous, would make us wise people. That we would be those, that we would be wise people who seek out wise counsel. So that you would be honored. That you, the source of all wisdom and truth, would be known. That you, who are the light in the darkness, that your light would shine in us and your light would shine through us. In the power of Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us continue to meditate on the word now preached as we rise and sing our praises to the Lord. <clears throat>